Hello and welcome to today's Mobius Medical Webinar, Money Talks, Why It Makes Sense to Spend Down Under on the Australian R&D Tax Incentive Program. Today we are fortunate to be joined by Blair Lucas from Acclime. Hey, how are you doing, Blair? Not too bad, thank you, Richard. How are you? Doing, doing great, thank you. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce myself. I'm Richard Brooks and the Technical Director at Mobius Medical and one of the three principals here. Uh, my background is in software development and enterprise data systems. I also have uh, spent time in the funds management industry and am a chartered financial analyst. Uh, my role at Mobius Medical is to head up the data management and IT systems areas. Uh, I also oversee uh, finance at Mobius. For those here that are not already aware of Mobius Medical, uh, we are a full service CRO operating out of Australia and New Zealand, uh, managing projects throughout the globe. We work across all body systems and all phases of clinical trials. You can find more information about what we do on our website, mobiusmedical.com.au. Whenever we meet, uh, new prospective clients from offshore. There are two questions that we are asked over and over again. Everyone wants to know if what they've heard about Australia and New Zealand's expedited startup process is true. We won't cover that, uh, or that topic today. However, we've covered this in previous webinars and I would encourage anyone interested to check out those recordings that are available on our website. The other thing we get asked is how the Australian Research and Development Tax Incentive Program works. Uh, we get questions like, uh, who is eligible to participate? Uh, how much money could they expect to receive under the program? What corporate and legal structures are required? When answering these R&D questions, we quickly exhaust our knowledge and suggest they speak to an expert. And we recommend they get in touch with our trusted partner, Acclime, who are absolute experts in this area. And we're thrilled to be joined by Blair Lucas from Acclime today. As you can see from Blair's profile on screen, he has uh, the impressive sort of CV that makes you wonder what you've been doing with your life. Uh, Blair, welcome to our Money Talks webinar. We're all very excited to learn about the R&D program. Thank you, Richard. Um, so now I'll, uh, I'll hand it over to Blair tell us about himself, a climb and yeah. the, uh, and the R&D program. Um, and then at the end, we'll, we'll take any questions. So Blair, over to you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, depending on where you are at the moment currently. Um, thanks for taking time out of your schedules to attend this webinar. Um, it's always good to be able to give some clarity to what can be seen as quite a complicated or confusing, um, uh, program in Australia. Um, very briefly, because you don't really want to hear about me, but um, I am the uh, original co-founder of uh, Acclaim Australia 12 years ago um, and currently Group Commercial Director of the business at a regional level across 12 countries. But um, my specialization within the business has always been to support overseas life science companies that are expanding to Australia largely to conduct R&D uh, 
um, in this territory and access the Australian government's very generous R&D tax incentive. Um, uh, now, as at this stage, Acclimb Australia, I as, as of last night, I think, we have 177 clients here in Australia who are at some stage in their R&D program. Um, <clears throat> and I say at some stage in their R&D program because it's important to note that none of our clients really come to Australia to simply conduct one R&D activity and exit. <laughs> they, even if they have that intention in the first instance, after discovering how uh, easy uh, it is to do R&D in Australia, after discovering how efficient it is, and in particular discovering how effectively everybody in this ecosystem works together, um, we find that clients stay for a considerable, pe considerable period of time. So over our close to 12 year history, I think we've had clients that have been with us for almost 11 years now um, and have done multiple R&D activities, whether they are various clinical trials on a drug, on a, you know, a single drug going down a clinical trial pathway, <clears throat> phase one through to phase three, uh, utilizing you know, first in human healthy volunteer trials, then conducting the, the uh, you know, proof of concept phase two study, and then using Australia as, as one site in many in a global multi-territory phase three study, um, or they've, they've run multiple assets through various clinical trial programs here or they've done product development on a medical device here and then gone into a clinical trial space. In any case, it's interesting to note that those companies that have seen and uh, recognized the value uh, in the, the speed of the cost and the quality advantages of doing R&D in Australia have really leveraged great value out of that to accelerate their product development pipeline. Um, and time is money. <laughs> And when you can be in and out of the clinic, for example, in uh, faster than you've got FDA approval in the US to even run a trial, uh, you know, that, that significantly reduces your, your cost burn. So your cash burn, I'm sorry. So this is a, an opportunity that really can allow companies that are developing devices or developing drugs to really get ahead of the game. Um, but I'm not an expert in the actual R&D space. Um, that is why, as Richard has pointed out, we work very closely uh, with Mobius in this context because I can't speak to you about the science. I barely understand what most of you are probably doing in respect of devices or drugs. Um, what we specialize in is providing all of the necessary back office corporate services to have what is largely a virtual entity in Australia to facilitate those R&D activities and access the R&D tax incentive. So don't ask me, don't ask me any questions about uh, the clinical trial space, you know, prototype developers, any, anything in relation to the actual science of what you're undertaking. I'm not the right person to answer that question. That would be Richard. I'm here really to talk to you about how to make sure that you can cost effectively and tax efficiently structure your Australian subsidiary so that you can access the R&D tax incentive itself. Next slide, Richard. Right, now this is a really confusing slide, but I have to put this up here largely because my tax guys say, no, you've got to put the right slide up. Um, <laughs> I'll explain it on the next slide in a minute, but this is the legal definition of what's available. And what's important here is that global group turnover question. So where a company has a global group turnover, and I'll define that shortly, 
that is less than 20 million Australian dollars, uh, which at current exchange rates with the US, I think is around about 12 million. Um, where you have that global group turnover of less than 20 million, you can essentially access a refundable tax offset, which is defined as a cash rebate of your corporate income tax rate plus 18.5%. Now, to boil that down, the corporate income tax rate for almost 99% of our clients in Australia be 25%. 25 plus 18.5 means 43.5%. So essentially, where you have a global group turnover of less than $20 million, there's a 43.5% cash rebate on your eligible R&D spend in Australia. Conversely, where you have a global group turnover of more than $20 million, Australian or 12 million US, give or take, you cannot access the cash rebate. You will only be able to access a non-refundable tax offset, i.e. a tax credit. Now, of course, these kinds of tax credits are very well known worldwide. You know, many, many countries have a tax credit system that is applicable to eligible to R&D expenditure. Um, and that in Australia is actually very, very healthy. Um, and I'll explain that shortly, but actually let's just go to the next slide, Richard, and I'll explain it there. What does that actually mean? This is where I make it simple for you. This is where we take the tax jargon and turn it into something that makes sense. Global group turnover, less than 20, 20 mil, 43.5% cash refund. Global group turnover, more than 20 mil. As I said, it's actually very healthy. It can be up to 46.5%, which is a significant tax credit uh, that is available. But as we know, you know, any kind, if you're in, if let's start with the drug development space. If you're in the drug development space, of course, you've got, you know, what a minimum 10 year sort of pipe uh, pathway to, from, from entering the clinic, let's say, to having those drugs approved. So obtaining on year one, a tax credit, albeit a very healthy tax credit is not going to be very useful to you because even though you can carry it forward almost indefinitely, you cannot use that tax credit until you have profit in Australia. So to be frank as well, we all know that the very, very, very vast majority of drug development companies are not successful in developing a drug that they can take to market. So this is why in 2011, the Australian government introduced the cash refund specifically to encourage life science companies to come to Australia and do this work. So the difference basically is where you have that tax offset, the tax credit, you can't use it until you have profit in Australia. The cash refund is cash. So in that first year where you conduct that eligible R&D activity, at the end of that year, the Australian government will give you a cash refund and you can utilize that cash as you wish. So this is what has really incentivized and encouraged life science companies to come to Australia and do R&D. This is why we have 177 clients ourselves who are doing this work in Australia. So that is what most of our clients are aiming for, all right? Where you have that global group turnover of less than $20 million. Next slide, please. So how do we calculate that $20 million? This is a key question. You know, I go through four key issues when I talk to clients about this, and this is the number two key issue. What is your global, or as we call aggregated group turnover? And what we have to look at there is the entire group of companies, connected and affiliated companies that make up your, your, your group of companies worldwide. So we have to look at the Australian subsidiary. The Australian subsidiary is never gonna have revenue in this, sorry, very, 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 very small revenue, perhaps, but really not much. The Australian subsidiary is only going to have costs. It is going to be spending the money on the R&D activities. So you don't need to worry about your revenue position there. It's going to be basically revenue. Then you have to look at the parent company because it will 
Again, in 99% of cases, 100% own the Australian subsidiary. Therefore, it's a connected entity. What is the revenue of the parent company? And if you look on the left there, if it's less than $20 million in revenue, bam, that's great. Your aggregated revenue, Australia plus the parent company, less than 20 mil, perfect. But you also need to consider any company or any person who owns more than 40% of the shares of the parent company. Now, if you, if you have to calculate those shareholders who have more than 40% of the shares, you have to consider what is their revenue position. So if you look at the second example there, we have zero revenue at the Australian sub-level, less than 20 mil at the parent company level, which is great. And then we have no shareholders with more than 40% ownership. So even if those shareholders have more than $20 million in revenue, it doesn't matter as long as they have less than 40% 40 of the shares, I beg your pardon. On the right, however, you see the alternate situation. Okay, of course, again, Australian subsidiary, zero revenue, parent company, less than 20 mil, but you have a shareholder with more than 40% of the shares of the parent company. And if that shareholder has more than $20 million in revenue, you will not qualify for the cash rebate. You will only qualify for the aforementioned tax credit. And, and an example here is, you know, if Pfizer holds 45% of the shares of your parent company, you will not access the cash rebate. The Australian government's not going to subsidize Pfizer for its, for its Australian uh, R&D activities. So the most important thing to do here is, number one, look at your parent company. If you are already engaged in sales, if you've already got income from sales of uh, product, if you've got out-licensing activities that is giving you revenue, you need to consider what is that revenue of your parent company. And then you need to look at, do I have any shareholders with more than 40% of the shares? Of my parent company and if so what is their revenue position and then you add all of those figures together and there's your final aggregated global turnover so again just to to emphasize less than 20 million australian aggregated global turnover cash rebate more than 20 million australian aggregated global turnover only the tax credit next slide please so who's eligible you can engage with Mobius from abroad to carry out your R&D activities in Australia and you'll get access to this incredible ecosystem out here in doing so. And that's perfectly legal, perfectly normal, perfectly legitimate. However, if you also want to access the R&D tax incentive, you must instead have an entity in Australia, a company in Australia. And that company needs to engage with Mobius in order to carry out these activities. So that's really the number one prerequisite of this program. If you wish to access the R&D tax incentive in Australia, you must have your own company in Australia. So as you can see there, you can set up an Australian subsidiary company. It's uh, what we call a proprietary limited company. It's a limited liability private company. It's the same as the, you know, it's analogous to, to, a, to a C Corp, an incorporated entity in the US. It's analogous to a, a PTE, LTD in Singapore. It's the same structure worldwide, just by different names. You can own it 100% foreign ownership. There's no restriction on that unless your foreign company has more than 20% foreign government ownership, in which case you need to get approval. Limited minimum, minimum capital requirements. You need to issue one share at $1 to, the, uh, to your parent company. And it's minimal setup requirements. It's really quite quick. Uh, it takes about 30 minutes to incorporate a company in Australia. It then takes around four weeks or so to complete the tax office registrations and the opening of a business bank account. And that's obviously because of the KYC, uh, you know, the uh, anti-money laundering, uh, counter-terrorism financing requirements to ensure that the foreign directors, the overseas company are all legitimate. Um, but in other words, four weeks, you can be set up. So what we say here is when you're four weeks away from signing a service agreement with Mobius to carry out your R&D activities, 
that's when you need to come to us and say, hey, 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 I need a company. Um, of course, nobody ever does. They come to us four days before they sign the agreement with Mobis and say, hey, we need a company in four days. But nonetheless, you should try to think ahead as to when you're going to sign that agreement so that that agreement can be executed between Mobius and your Australian company, which evidences that the Australian company is the one that is empowering or, or engaging with Mobius to carry out this work. Now, of course, your parent company should ideally be located in a country with a double tax agreement. It doesn't have to be, but again, this reduces the risk. If you have, and I'll come back to this in a minute, but the tax office, tax office doesn't look at a lot of these, um, doesn't audit many of these arrangements at all. In fact, they increased the number of audits from a whopping, well, they doubled them, in fact, from a whopping 1% to 2% uh, a couple of years ago. So what we try to do here is to make these arrangements as clear as possible so that if the tax office does a preliminary review, there's no red flags. And locating your parent company of the Australian, of the Australian company in a country with a double tax agreement de-risks your arrangements. So obviously double tax agreement countries are pretty common with Australia. Definitely includes the list that I have up there. Doesn't include Hong Kong. Um, <clears throat> but obviously no tax havens. We don't have double tax arrangements with Cayman Islands, BVI, Barbados, any of these countries. And I know that that is where many companies do maintain their IP, which is fine. You know, many, many companies overseas will have their parent company located in a country with a double tax agreement, and then the IP will be held in a, in, a, um, in a company located in a tax haven, that's fine. You just want to have the arrangements, the ownership structure for Australia to be held by that DTA, double tax agreement, country, company. Next slide, please. So we've got our company established in Australia. We're less than $20 million of global aggregated turnover, which means we get the cash rebate. The next critical question is what activities are eligible and therefore what costs are eligible? And there's two different types of activities that are eligible. There's your core R&D activity and your supporting R&D activity. Now your core R&D is the critical one. You must be conducting a core R&D activity in Australia if you wish to be, have any activities eligible, all right? If you're only conducting supporting R&D activities in Australia, none of it will be eligible. So you must first assess and ensure that you're conducting a core R&D activity in Australia. Now core R&D activity is defined as an experiment. You must be conducting an experiment which generates new knowledge and where the outcome is not known in advance. All right, now that is really, for example, if we look at a clinical trial, easy. That is clearly an eligible core R&D activity. And we've never had any questions or pushback from the Department of Industry, Science and Technology as to the eligibility of such an activity. So clinical trials, no problem. Prototype development, no problem. You know, if you're in anything that you can define within the scope of an experiment will be an eligible core R&D activity. And thankfully, that means that everything, therefore, that you pay to Mobius in this context um, will be an eligible cost as a cost related to a core R&D activity. Thankfully, though, these supporting R&D activities are also eligible where they relate to a core R&D activity, but they must directly relate to a core R&D activity itself. And supporting R&D activities don't need to be experimental in nature. Okay, these are activities which are nonetheless essential for the running of the core R&D activity. So you can see a great list there in relation to clinical trials that are eligible as costs because they directly relate to the core R&D activity being a clinical trial. So the good thing about this program is it's not 43.5% of 10% of your costs. It's 43.5% of 90% of your costs. Don't quote me on that, but 
<laughs> I'm using an analogy there. Um, unfortunately, our fees are not eligible. They're, they're directly excluded. I don't know why, but anyway, our fees are, are a small slice of the entire pie generally, but nonetheless, you'll find that almost everything that you're spending in Australia will be eligible because it's either related to a core R&D activity or a supporting R&D activity. Next slide, please. So there's a couple of buttons you have to press here, Richard. Um, sorry, that you can press the uh, next slide, next slide. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so in order to evidence that you are carrying, that your Australian company is appropriately empowered to carry out the R&D and in doing so be eligible for the R&D tax incentive, you need to make sure that there are legal agreements between the parent company and the Australian subsidiary. And this is a legal requirement of the R&D tax incentive program itself. But it's also one of those critical documents that the tax office will look at to ensure that you have set up your Australian subsidiary properly to access the R&D tax incentive itself. So <clears throat> when we look at uh, those two agreements in general, we have two, it can be one, it depends how lawyers draft them. And this is where it can be very confusing for clients looking at this program because everybody does it slightly differently. You know, there's no checklist, there's no template, there's no boilerplate that the tax office say, or the Department of Industry say, hey, here's an agreement you need to put in place. They don't give much guidance around this. But in general, there's an intercompany agreement, which will obviously license the intellectual property from the parent company of the Australian subsidiary for using as part of that R&D activity in Australia. And it will also detail what rights are given to the Australian company um, as a result of the R&D activities so that it is uh, appropriately, let's say, compensated for carrying out the work in Australia as well. The good thing to know is that you don't need to grant legal title to your IP that is developed during your R&D activities to the Australian company, but you do need to grant some benefit to the Australian company if you are to maximise your benefit available under the R&D tax incentive program. So the model that we use uh, at Acclime and have always deployed is that we grant the Australian subsidiary the right to commercialise that intellectual property that is generated in Australia. And what that means is that all of your legal ownership to your IP, the original IP that is used in the R&D activity, the new IP that is developed as a result of the R&D activity, that all vests, that all sits with your parent company or wherever that IP is held. And the Australian company retains nonetheless the right to be able to commercialise that IP in the future. And that's enough to demonstrate to the Australian Taxation Office that the Australian company has a commercial purpose and is benefiting from it. And that gives you a great benefit by way of the R&D tax incentive. The funding agreement is, oh, sorry, before I get to that, and, and obviously in order to maintain that low audit risk, we have our clients complete a commercial rationale, which is essentially a transfer pricing study to ensure that those rights that are granted to the Australian company are appropriate and reasonable and commercial in nature, depending upon, of course, the nature of the study, the total value of the potential outcome, the amount of work that the Australian company is contributing to this R&D um, activity, et cetera. Of course, the other agreement, which is sometimes in place or often in place is a funding agreement to again, evidence how you're funding your Australian company, whether it's by way of debt, whether it's by way of equity or whether it's a mix. And again, at a client, we usually advocate a mix these days, um, which is usually 60% equity, 40% debt, which is 40% debt, which is roughly obviously equivalent to the 43.5% benefit that's obtainable, um, which minimizes uh, your tax if you want to send your money home. Uh, that's simply put because where you are sending money back overseas by way of a debt arrangement, you're repaying a debt. And there's a very low tax uh, burden as a result. Where you're doing it 100% by way of equity and you're sending money home, it's a dividend. So your tax can often be quite high. Next slide, please, Richard. 
Right, the application process, pretty straightforward. This is not a prepayment. This is not something you receive in advance of your activities. This is something that is refunded to you at the end of the year. So you start, let's say we incorporate your company 1 January 2023, you run your R&D activities throughout the duration of 2023. On 31 December, you close your books for the year, 31 December 2023. And then on 1 January, we can start the process of the application. Now you have 10 months from 1 January 2024 to 31 October 2024 to lodge your application with the Department of Industry, Science, Energy and Resources. I got it wrong. I think I said Industry, Science and Technology. We just call it the Department of Industry. Or a lot of people just call it Oz Industry, which is an old name. But anyway, that's the application in which we detail on your behalf what your activities are, what you've been carrying out. And that's where, as again, I said, they've never come back with any questions, but that's where they basically tick. Yep you are conducting, you have been conducting a core R&D activity in Australia, um, et cetera, et cetera. Now they issue, that usually takes two to four weeks or so for them to process that application and they issue a registration number. And then at the same time, what we do is we work on your financial statements for the year um, and we complete your income tax return. And the income tax return has a simple R&D schedule attached to it. And that R&D schedule says, this is how much I spent in Australia on that core activity and supporting activity. I'm less than $20 million in uh, global aggregated turnover. So therefore I'd like 43.5% of that back, please. There is no other information that is submitted to the Australian Taxation Office. This is a self-assessed program. As I said before, they only audit 2% of applications. So what we have here is a, a unique situation where the Australian government trusts that everybody's gonna do the right thing, which makes this, the process very, very efficient, which means that after we submit your income tax return, the rebate is usually paid within four to eight weeks. It's very quick. Those funds that are received by way of the R&D tax incentive program, you can keep them in Australia. You can fund your, the next phase of whatever R&D activity you're undertaking. You can use them to fund a new study or a new product development, um, as the case may be. Or as I said before, you can send them home. Um, and if you're sending them home by way of a debt arrangement, you're repaying your debt, you're paying a very little tax burden on it. So it's a very lucrative program, not only, as I've said before, to accelerate your R&D program worldwide, but obviously to significantly subsidize your costs as well. And studies that have been done into this have evidenced that, or have indicated that taking into account the R&D tax incentive program, as well as the cheaper, the generally cheaper cost of doing these studies in Australia compared to the USA, you're getting about a 60 to 70% discount on your R&D spend. So this is not minor. This is certainly material. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to mention. Yes, of course, Australian government's trusting you do the right thing. They do. In our space, we find that even though the official audit rate is 2%, they check about 5% of our applications. And that is largely because the spend is usually quite high within life sciences and we're dealing with foreign owned companies. So there's a bit more scrutiny. Um, but if they do so, they do what they call an integrity review. And that is usually upon the first year of application where they say, right, you know, thanks for submitting your application. I'd now like to see the intercompany agreements, which I mentioned before. I'd like to see the service agreement with Mobius. I'd like to see the top five work orders, the top five invoices. What they're doing is ensuring that you have set up the company properly, that you have, that the arrangements in place are appropriate to gain the benefit from the government under this program. And that of course, you've actually been doing the work in Australia with Mobius and that the invoices have been paid. So it's just an evidence gathering process. But again, this is why it's so important 
to make sure that you have it structured properly and, you, and that you have somebody like a client who's maintaining all that documentation on your behalf in the event that there is an integrity review. Next slide, please. So this is my last slide, you'll be pleased to know. I haven't got much more to go. <laughs> Other key considerations. Minimum spend is $20,000 a year. That's normally not hard. I won't say anything bad about Mobius, but most of most of the companies we work with in this space, you're going to be spending more than 20 grand a year. Um, the maximum is 150 million. So again, that's per annum. So generally we don't have clients who are struggling with that uh, particular threshold either. Um, don't worry about the annual turn. Oh, well, sorry, the, the new regulations are a very confusing line there, but essentially we've received government grants in Australia from a state or federal authority. There is a clawback process. The government's not going to double, double dip, allow you to double dip there. They're not going to give you a $1 million grant and then allow you to use that $1 million grant and get 43.5% of it back. But again, most of our clients are not getting government grants in Australia. So it's usually not a huge issue. And the last point, which is actually more important is, you know, as I mentioned before, or didn't mention before, but as I've indicated before that your R&D activities that are carried out, core R&D activity, the supporting R&D activities, they're obviously only eligible if you're carrying them out in Australia. If you're carrying out a core activity in Australia, but doing supporting activities overseas, if you're doing biostat work in India, or if you're doing lab work in the USA, that, that supporting activity, even if it is directly related to the core activity, won't be eligible. If you wish to claim costs for activities occurring overseas, you have to make a separate application for that. And the government is willing to include certain overseas costs if it means you're going to do the core activity in Australia. They would rather subsidize some of those overseas costs and have the core activity in Australia than have you take the entire study overseas as a result. So what these are called is an overseas finding. And these are not an easy process. Overseas findings, as opposed to the general R&D tax incentive program, are subject to application and approval. This is not a self-assessed program. You need to make a submission to the Department of Industry to justify why they should include these overseas costs within your Australian R&D tax incentive claim. Now, as a result, they are costly. An overseas finding will generally cost as much as the entire year of services that we provide uh, under a normal program. So, you know, if our fees per annum are just shy of $40,000 for everything to maintain your company R&D tax incentive, local director, taxes, finances, office services, etc. You're talking somewhere between twenty dollars to $40,000 for an overseas finding because it's an awful lot of work that's required in this process and there's a lot of to and fro between the Department of Industry where they require additional information here, questions here, evidence here, etc. So a, there is a cost, a significant cost to it and there's a significant time investment which can be a distraction for your team which you need to consider and they can also take anywhere from six to nine months. Um, the good thing is that they apply for, the, for a three-year period. So if you get an overseas finding, it applies over a three-year period, which is advantageous. But more importantly, you need to qualify, sorry, you need to satisfy these three criteria in order to even be eligible to make an overseas finding. And that is that number one, the activity that's occurring overseas must not be able to be conducted in Australia. So there needs to be a reason why you cannot do this in Australia. And, and I often use the example of primate toxicity studies. You know, we don't do primate tox studies in Australia. So if a supporting preclinical activity for your clinical study in Australia was a primate tox study and you had to therefore conduct that in the USA, that would satisfy criterion one. 
Criterion two, the activity occurring overseas must have a significant scientific link with the core activity in Australia. That's usually not hard to justify. Again, primate tox study, clinical first in human study is obviously a significant scientific link. And that's usually the very easy criterion to satisfy. But then <clears throat> the third one is that your overseas expenditure, so the expenditure on the overseas activity itself must be less than the expenditure in Australia in total. So primate tox study, normally not a problem, but where we often see challenges there or issues there is where we have clients who say, look, you know, 26 million people in Australia, I've got an orphan drug indication, I've got five patients in Australia, I need 20 patients, therefore I'm taking 15 patients in uh, the USA. Now, obviously the cost to uh, run those 15, that 15 patient study in the USA is going to be more than running the five patient study in Australia. So you would not satisfy criterion three under that arrangement. So overseas findings, challenging, potentially valuable. It's really a process of looking at what are you doing overseas? What is the value of it? Do you want to spend the effort, the time, the cost? Do you understand that, you know, this is not a guarantee that you may be rejected? Um, having said that, we've been 100% successful in overseas finding applications, um, largely because we do it in a staged process. We we go through it step by step over a number of stages and and at each sort of at each uh, milestone as such we make a decision uh, or our clients make a decision alongside us as to whether it's worthwhile progressing to the next stage having a look at the the reasonable assessment of risk the reasonable assessment of likelihood of success next slide please richard yeah okay that's just it that one's easy uh, it's me on the left um, here in Acclaim Australia and in North America. We have we have quite a team now there in the US, but Stuart Walker is our president and director of Acclaim USA based in our San Francisco office. So happy to share any details, obviously, to contact us afterwards. Last slide is just a thank you, Richard, and that's, that's it. Okay, well, thank you, Blair. Um, very, um, very helpful and clear uh, information there. I'm sure everyone would agree, very, very helpful. Um, Right, so now I think we'll uh, open it up to questions. Uh, I can see that we have one question from Val here. Um, I'll just read it out. Are yep. pre-market regulatory activities, uh, such as submissions, QA rounds with TGA, uh, eligible as core R&D? I don't think so. It's one of those challenges, you know what, I just, I just received, uh, sorry, one of our, actually Stuart just asked our team internally this morning as that exact answer, and I haven't yet received um, a, quest, a response on that. So we've sent that to our uh, team uh, to clarify, but I don't think so. It wouldn't be a core R&D activity anyway, it'd be a supporting R&D activity because it's not an experiment. So. I'd be happy to, to look into that. That is one of the questions we've posted on our internal channel this morning to our R&D team for clarification. Um, but not entirely sure. I, I Certainly not core activity, maybe supporting activity, but we'd have to have a look at it. Sorry. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, just a, a few other questions uh, here. Uh, so do you, do you need to actually have any any staff in Australia? So does the, does the no. local company you know? No? No, you don't. There's not a requirement to have staff in Australia. Um, you know, we have, I think, of our entire group of clients, 177 of them, I think two or three of them have staff. Um, and it's largely in the device space. Um, so th that's a commercial decision, not a legal decision in relation to this program. They've, they've dispatched, you know, experts from home country who've got a lot of uh, experience, you know, with the particular device. And, you know, they're usually more complex devices. 
we're talking implants and the like, and they're supervising those those particular activities. But there's not a requirement to have staff in Australia. You know, we represent our team, sorry, we represent our clients in Australia by putting the appropriate people in place here. By way of example, we have um, within our cohort of resident directors, we have uh, three who are particularly experienced in the life science space, including, for example, Tam Nguyen, who's Deputy Director of Clinical Research at St. Vincent's Hospital here in Melbourne. So the more decisions and involvement and engagement you have in Australia, the more evidence that the Australian company is doing the R&D work, which we like to have. So those, those directors are in place to really provide that on the ground support, but you don't have to have staff in Australia. And I presume those those staff wages uh, and, and costs would then, uh, well, much of that would then become supporting activities you could also Excellent. claim? That's a very good question. Yep. The, if you have staff in Australia employed by the Australian subsidiary who are 100% carrying out uh, work on the R&D activities, then their salary is indeed claimable. Um, but similarly as well, you know, if you have staff that you are dispatching from overseas to Australia who and you have the appropriate evidence in place to demonstrate that they were working in Australia on the R&D activities. And again, that portion of their salary is also claimable, but you'd have to charge it back to the Australian subsidiary. Remember, all costs have to fall on the Australian subsidiary, but our team works with you in that regard to make sure that you can structure that um, and claim it appropriately. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, we have another, another question from Pablo. Uh, uh, once the R&D incentive project has been approved, are you able to pause yep. uh, the R&D claim for a year and then continue? Absolutely. And Pablo, this is why we have, um, uh, why we have so many companies who've been with us for so long. Um, so what happens is, I mean, legally, you're, you're allowed to keep a company here for as long as you want. You don't have to continually conduct R&D, but from a, from a pragmatic commercial perspective, what we, you know, obviously we recognized quite some time ago that, you know, company runs trial in 2023. Um, and you know, then they, have, they need some time to review the data and they need some time to have a look at what are our next steps? You know, do we, do we take this, this device or this asset to, to, a, to the next stage of, of clinical development? Do we, do we run a, a new R&D activity on a new asset or device, et cetera? So what we do at a climb is that once you have conducted that first activity, we put the company into dormancy. And when it goes into dormancy, the fees drop to a third of the normal run rate. Um, and that just allows that company to tick along as a compliant entity with all of the appropriate tax filings and everybody in place. And then what happens is you come to us at some stage in the future and say, hey, we're ready to go, ready to go again. We spool that company back up into a full service entity and off you run. So that's why we had, we've had clients here who've done literally five or six R&D activities over the years, just sort of uh, running in and out of, of a full service slash dormant state. Great. Do you find, is there, is there any um, generally minimum level of spend that would be required to make, to make setting up the, um, the Australian entity and, and all the administration costs great, worthwhile? Great question. And look, we don't normally encounter this with drugs just because the spend is usually significant. You know, um, I've never had a drug development company sort of have to look at that, where that value inflection point comes in between their spend and the R&D tax incentive, because they normally on average drug development companies are spending a million bucks a year in Australia. So fine, you know, million dollars a year, you're getting a $435,000 return. Our fees, 40 grand, let's say, is a rough figure. You're still netting, remember that ours are not recoverable. You're still netting almost $400,000 worth of, of benefit. But if you look at that calculation, if you consider that our fees, $40,000 a year, this is all Australian dollars, of course, um, and you consider in that context, you know, if you're spending only $100,000 in Australia, then forget it in, in a year, because $100,000, you're going to be netting forty-three. And a half thousand dollars 
by the time you deduct our fees, you're walking away with three and a half thousand dollars. It's not worth it. <clears throat> I mean, I shouldn't probably say it's not worth it, but obviously just the just the, the cost involved, the distraction, you know, you'd be better off just engaging directly with Mobius to do the work and not worrying about the R&D tax incentive. So we usually find that value inflection point kicks in around $200,000. So if you're spending $200,000 on eligible core and supporting R&D activities in a year in Australia, you're going to be walking away with, you know, close to, you know, about, let's say $85,000. And then of course, take away our fees, you're still netting 45K. It's worth it at that level. Um, and this is why when I say with drugs, we don't normally have this challenge where we normally see these challenges with devices that can often be, especially the, the lower class devices, the, the cost for R&D activities in Australia may not be as significant. So I, I you know, this is, this is the response from market, Richard, really mm -hmm. you know, 200,000 K a year, uh, sorry, 200 K, $200,000 a year is usually that threshold for justifying going down this path. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Well, we've, um, I think we've, we've reached the end of our, of our time here. Uh, I can't see any more questions. So I think Blair, thank you very much. And I think we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. Not all. Thank you for the time. I, I really do appreciate it. Um, good to speak to you all. Um, Richard's got my contact details and Stuart's contact details in the United States. Um, we obviously have, if you're in another location anywhere, um, please feel free to reach out. We have people globally, UK, EU, Asia, and the USA, as well as here in Australia. So if you have any questions, we'd be obviously happy to put you in touch. We do an awful lot of what I call pre-sale service, which is um, discussing with you your options, making sure you understand what's, uh, what's involved. We like our clients to be really fully informed about the entire process before you pull the trigger. So please don't hesitate to reach out. We'd be very happy to have a chat. Excellent. Thank you very much. Not at all. Okay. Okay. Goodbye, everyone, and, and have a great day. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.